1: Asia Pacific Currents. News and Labour issues from the Asia Pacific region.
0: We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters.
1: Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock. On
0: Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight the greedy capitalists.
1: Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents this Saturday, the 27th of November. You're listening to Community Radio 3CR. I'm Giselle Hanna and I'm taking you through to 9.30 this morning. Coming up in the second part of the show, I'm going to speak with Nick McClellan, our resident expert on the Asia-Pacific region, and we're going to look at the uh, proposed referendum in New Caledonia, or Kanaki, which is scheduled for the 12th of December, and some of the politics around whether that um, referendum should go ahead at all. But of course, uh, Asia Pacific Currents is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on the web or the w's.aawl.org.au. We're on Facebook and Twitter. So look us up on those social media platforms. I will tell you that we are in our last month of broadcasting for 2021. Our last show this year is going to be uh, Saturday the 18th of December and also listeners, while Pierre is uh, on leave today, um, I do want to remind you that the 18th of December is actually Pierre's last show for Asia Pacific Current. So we're going to try go out with a bang for him. He's been doing the show for something like 33 years. Um, so he'll be, he'll be back for that uh, final show and uh, we'll make sure it's a good one for him. But time now for news from around the region, and we're going to kick off in Qatar. Um, Journalists have been detained in Qatar for reporting on the labour conditions at the FIFA World Cup 2022 construction site. We've been bringing you this story periodically over the last number of years, um, but of course the situation is slowly starting to escalate as we get closer to the FIFA World Cup. On Sunday the 21st of November, journalists Helvora Ekeland and photographer Lokman Rurbani were detained outside of their hotel in Doha before their flight back to Norway. They were released from custody about 30 hours later on the morning of Tuesday the 23rd of November and they left Doha the same day, safely arriving in Oslo on the 24th of November. Their equipment, however, was confiscated. Eklund and Gurbani were in Qatar to cover the one-year mark before the beginning of the FIFA World Cup 2022. Shortly before their arrest, they'd reported on the work and living conditions of migrant workers during a live broadcast on the NPK news program Sports Raven. Eklund had told viewers there were stark contrasts with some workers doing awfully or having fear in their eyes. Media and human rights organisations have previously reported on the systemic exploitation and high numbers of death among migrant workers while building soccer venues in searing heat since 2010. Investigations into the brutal working conditions caused international outrage, leading Qatar to announce sweeping labour reforms in 2019. However, many workers say that the conditions haven't really changed. And moving now to the United Arab Emirates, where even though there are proposed new labour laws commencing in February 2022, it won't bring an end to the kafala system. So these new labour laws, which are due to be implemented in February, have been touted as the biggest update to the UAE's labour relations, but they do fail to meet international standards for workers' rights. Lack of consultation with workers and the absence of social dialogue between workers, employers and the government mean there'll be no change to the kafala system of modern slavery. Just to remind listeners, the kafala system is a sponsorship system which um, gives private citizens and companies in Jordan, Lebanon and most Gulf Arab states almost total control over migrant workers' employment and immigration status. The system arose from growing, demanding Gulf economies for cheap labour and the desperation of many migrants in search of work and the opportunity to send money home to their families. There have been wide calls for reform um, because of the exploitation and abuse, especially based on race and gender. So the International Trade Union Congress is calling on the UAE government to end the kafala system of modern slavery, to introduce a non-discriminatory minimum wage, to abolish the need for employer permissions to leave the country by allowing workers to deal directly with the government in cancelling their residence visas, um, to include domestic workers in the labour law and establish a functioning labour court with grievance procedures. And right here in Australia, police were called to Amazon to an Amazon warehouse in Sydney just yesterday. An Amazon warehouse in Western Sydney called the police to remove two union officials investigating allegations of workers' cars being overpacked during its busy Black Friday sales period. The Transport Workers' Union sent three officials to Amazon Flex Bella Vista parcel pickup facility on Friday, with two of them tasked with going on-site to investigate reports of alleged dangerous overloading of vehicles. They believed workers were being pressured to accept the parcels to avoid disciplinary action or termination. The union has supplied photos of delivery cars full of Amazon boxes and I have seen those photos and they are extraordinarily unsafe in relation to to the degree to which those cars are packed. Amazon Flex is a gig economy style delivery service similar to Uber Eats and the drivers provide their own cars to make the deliveries. The TWU said the officials were initially let onto the site but management later called police to have them removed. The union said officials were allowed to remain due to having legal right of entry documentation. An Amazon spokesperson told The Guardian one official followed right of entry requirements, but then two others did not meet relevant entry requirements for right of access to the site and then refused when they were asked to leave. Now, this issue of right of entry is central to Australia's union movement um, at the moment. The CFMEU, the ETU, um, these other unions consistently complain about being kicked off site when all of their documentation is in order and the way that um, industrial law has developed in this country um, and and particularly with the onslaught or the offensive by Liberal and Labor governments against union um, rights has... Has meant that companies are unlawfully kicking um, unionists off sites who have right of entry, their right of entry documentation in order, and and then we're basically in an expensive legal challenge to get those organisers back on site. Moving now to uh, to the issue of climate change, but specifically looking at the Kurdish um, teachers' union because they've they've put out a statement in support of action on climate. Acknowledging that climate change is one of the most important global issues, the Kurdistan Teachers Union has reaffirmed its commitment to push the regional government to insert climate change education into the curriculum and to take other necessary measures on climate change. Climate change and its effects are clearly visible through annual droughts, heavy rainfall, floods, forest, fire, fo- excuse me, forest fires, and rapid snow melting in the North and South Poles. That's a quote from the KTU, the Kurdish uh, Kurdistan Teachers Union. The president, Abdul Wahad Mhaj. All these changes, he he goes on to say that all these changes prompted many countries, the United Nations and many organisations concerned about climate change to start conducting research and studies and to follow up on climate developments. He warned that the risks are increasing day by day, especially to the environment, human beings, livestock and wildlife and to the entire globe. While the effects will not be felt very quickly, without a doubt, climate changes, no matter how small, will see their effects grow exponentially and lead to deepening problems. Hajj also welcomed the interest shown by many countries in the issue of climate change and that they've begun to take measures to reduce the impact of these changes. Harsh said some of the key steps to reducing climate change include controlling and reducing gases emitted by giant factories, farming of the plains to restore balance in the environment, dealing with and using urban waste in a scientific manner to reduce damage to the environment, including air and water. A significant development in the um, Middle East Arab world uh, of that union speaking for action on climate. And finally, our last story for news from around the region is the Solomon Islands. No doubt you will have seen the unrest and violence in Honiara. Food, fuel and cash are in short supply after days of riots shut down the Solomon Islands capital, Honiara. There's smoke in the air and rubble on the ground after days of rioting and arson attacks in that capital. Businesses, schools and even the Prime Minister's residence were set alight and looted by protesters during three straight days of civil unrest. Now, people are struggling to restock food supplies and there are queues at ATMs and petrol stations as the extent of the crisis begins to take its toll. Unrest broke out on Wednesday when a peaceful protest calling on Prime Minister Manasseh Sagavare to step down turned violent and quickly spiralled out of control of the local police. Australian troops and Papua New Guinea security personnel arrived in Honiara on Friday to assist local authorities. The capital is now also under a government-enforced curfew between the hours of 7pm and 6am, which will continue indefinitely. The main source of the conflict stems from the government's 2019 decision to switch diplomatic allegiance from Taiwan to China, which led to a deterioration in the relationship between the traditionally pro-Taiwan Molatai province and the central government. And this just escalates the further tensions in relation to what looks like an increasing global war involving China. Um, Australia's choice to, I mean in relation to the to the way international politics has evolved, Australia was in a difficult position about whether to send troops or not. But the decision will no doubt escalate tensions between Australia and China. Of course, we say no to war, including no to a war with China. Um, But uh, the situation in the Solomons is unfolding. Also, I think the protest can be seen in the context of more broadly anti-authoritarian and anti-government protests that are um, popping up right across the world. Definitely um, a story that we're going to continue to follow on Asia Pacific Currents and hopefully uh, bring an interview before the end of the year. It's 13 minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. I'm Giselle Hannah and this is Asia Pacific Currents. I'm going to go to some community announcements and then my interview with Nick McClellan.
0: Across Australia and around the world, we've seen reactionary right-wing mobilisations around anti-vaccine, anti-lockdown and anti-public health demands. In response to this, the Campaign Against Racism and Fascism have launched the campaign Pro-Vax, Pro-Union, anti fascist to combat the far-right and to fight for public health, safety and social solidarity. Go to www.calf.melbourne to join the fight for the safety of workers in the community and against the far-right.
1: A 3CR supporter. 3CR, always bringing you the latest union news.
0: They're coming after us at the moment. They want to get rid of penalty rates. The big push from businesses.
1: They want to get rid of all the things that you and I have fought for.
0: So there's tens of thousands of jobs gone contracted out to sham contracting arrangements.
1: On 8:55 AM and on the web, 3cr.org.au. It is 15 minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. This is Asia Pacific Currents and I'm Giselle Hanna. My guest on the program is Nick McClellan, resident expert on the Asia-Pacific region, and he's joining me today to talk about the third referendum in New Caledonia under the Numea Accord, which is intended to be held on the 12th of December. Welcome to the show, Nick.
0: Good morning, Giselle.
1: So this uh, the, the referendum is uh, not necessarily welcomed by the Indigenous Canucks at the moment. I think some of the arguments that are being raised is that it's difficult to mobilise a population in the middle of a pandemic. Can you tell us a little bit about why the timing of this referendum and what the opposition is to it?
0: One of the reasons that there's concern is that... Um For many Canucks, this is the culmination of a, you know, a 30-year-long process towards a decision on New Caledonia's political status. Um, The agreement uh, known as the Namir Accord was signed in 1998, um, and there's been a long transition towards a a decision about whether New Caledonia should stay with France or whether it should be an independent and sovereign country. Um, However, there's been a massive surge of cases... uh, Um, Throughout September and early October of COVID, um, indeed, uh, you know, restrictions have continued till um, mid-December, which limit the size of gatherings, obviously have disrupted political campaigning for this crucial vote. And so um, for months, uh, independence leaders have been saying that the vote should be postponed until late 2022 after the French presidential elections, where uh, President Macron's contending next April after French legislative elections in June. But France is surging ahead, uh, pushing forward on the vote for a number of reasons. And um, so the Kanak leaders have called for what they're calling non participation. They're basically asking Indigenous Kanak and non Kanak supporters of independence to stay home on the 12th of December just to ignore the the vote, saying it's not a truly uh, credible referendum on the future of the country.
1: Why is France pressing ahead with the referendum despite such widespread opposition from the Indigenous people? I mean, this decision to go ahead on the 12th of December was upheld by the French High Commission, which suggests that there has been uh, a long legal process trying to delay it, as you described.
0: Well, the French government has said that this is, you know, uh, appropriate to continue in a democratic sense. Um, uh, Francis Lamy, who's the fr- senior French official who heads the um, uh, control commission for the referendum, says that you know voting's not compulsory in France, so if the Canucks don't turn up, it doesn't matter. Um, it'll, it won't be irregular to hold this referendum. But that avoids the political question about this. Um, I interviewed uh, one of the leading uh, Canuck politicians, uh, Pierre-Chanel Tudigoro last week. He's the secretary-general of Union Caledonian, which is the largest pro-independence party, And he highlighted two or three reasons why he thought France was continuing. The first is that France hopes to have a strategic defeat of the independence movement um, by a a strong no vote in the referendum. And that would open the way to ending this Numir Accord, this framework agreement, which has governed the country for more than 20 years and force everyone to negotiate a new agreement that um, he was concerned would roll back many advances that the Canac people had made uh, in recent decades. Secondly, Tudogoro argued that this was also France making a show of force at a time that French uh, diplomacy in the so-called Indo-Pacific region has been badly damaged. Um, we'll know in Australia that the AUKUS partnership uh, established between the United States, Britain and Australia, um, involved uh, the abrupt the cancellation of a co- submarine contract with France, and, uh, was a real blow for President Macron's Indo-Pacific strategy Um, and, indeed, uh, um, Tutu questioned whether part of this show of force in New Caledonia at the moment um, and the rush to the referendum was related to sending a message to Australia, New Zealand and neighbouring countries uh, to say, look, France is still here, this is our part of the world um, and we're not going anywhere. Um, So, as well as the local... Uh, desire to set back the independence movement, there's also these broader geopolitical questions um, that are on the French agenda. And thirdly, of course, f- Macron's going to elections in uh, April, uh, a re-election as French president. He's facing off against uh, his main competitors, are in fact, on the extreme right. Um, Marine Le Pen from Rassemblement National, which is the old National Front, rebadged. And then even worse, neo-fascist, a guy called Eric Zamora, both showing up strongly in the polls. So for Macron to stand up tough and, and uh, deploy police and military to New Caledonia um, at this time, uh, uh, you know, Australian people will understand uh, toughen up black fellows is regarded as good politics on the far right. And uh, so there's an element of that in, in purely party, party political terms in the lead-up to the election.
1: Well, it's not just that... Um the, the Canucks are being encouraged not to participate in the referendum at all. There is some talk of social unrest and perhaps even protests and uprisings on the streets. And if we, you know, look at what is happening regionally, the Solomon Islands, um, just general anti-government, anti-authority sentiment across the globe, in fact, I mean, this could actually lead to quite a dangerous situation on the streets. How does that play out in an election if, you know, France actually needs to call in um, heavy reinforcements if the situation does escalate in New Caledonia?
0: France France has already uh, brought those police and military forces to New Caledonia over the last couple of months. Um, in this month, Islands Business Magazine, I've written an analysis about the deployment of French forces. Um They're talking about uh, 15 squadrons of guard mobile, sort of paramilitary police, um, with 30 armoured cars, uh, um, uh, more military troops uh, from the French army, um, and uh, a range of other police and intelligence uh, people being deployed um, over the past few weeks and the the coming weeks till the 12th of December. Um, The French High Commission says that these are necessary to guarantee the... uh, The safe conduct of the the referendum. Um, But uh, many uh, Kanak leaders see this as, in some ways, a provocation. Um, One example, the Party of Kanak Liberation said that the the French decision to surge ahead with the vote, uh, the deployment of uh, of police and military, is akin to a declaration of war. Strong language. But the Kanak leaders are actually worried that this is a provocation. They've actually called not for a boycott of the vote on the 12th of December, but what they call non-participation. They're asking independent supporters just to stay home, not to protest, not to go outside the town halls, not to disrupt the right of other people to vote, uh, but simply to drive down the participation rate to make this a less credible vote. Um, But, as you say, there is a danger that a lot of people are pissed off with the situation. There's a danger that uh, young people will be out on the streets and... um, you know for macron uh, to have uh, um, images of uh, young Canucks fighting with the french police um as he goes into an election campaign that's not necessarily a bad thing for conservative politicians
1: um, i mean there in, is
0: in the context
1: there is also a danger that uh the vote will rather than being incredible would actually be credible and lost as a result of non participation
0: well not i don't think so um You know, normally there's a fairly low turnout for elections in New Caledonia, and yet the last two referenda that have been held under the Noumea Accord in uh, November 2018 and October 2020 had very high participation rates, um, 81% in 2018, 86% in um, uh, the last occasion. And on both occasions, the independence movement, the FLNKS and other parties did much better than they thought um they got 43% support of independence in 2018 47% so they're on a roll with with uh, momentum um i think that the with the the non participation both of indigenous kanaks and supporters of of independence in other other ethnic communities um you know the vote will be much lower and already we've seen neighboring countries like Vanuatu or the Melanesian Spearhead Group, which links uh, Papua New Guinea, Fiji, Solomons and so on, saying that that they are worried that without the participation of Indigenous Kanak, this vote may not be seen as fair, credible or transparent. Um, That's been spoken by the PNG's ambassador to the United Nations. So already people are raising questions about whether a low turnout by mainly European and islander communities, Um, some Kanak, but but, uh, very few... Would be seen as a true decolonization. Let's not forget what this is about. The indigenous Kanak people, the indigenous inhabitants of New Caledonia, have been calling for decades for independence. They've been seeking support from people in the European community, in the islander community, in the Asian community. They've been saying, let's build a common destiny together as an independent nation. Um, and, you know, you can't have a decolonization process without the, the, without the colonised people, the indigenous people, being involved. And so while France may say that the vote has gone ahead, that the majority of people have voted no, that it's a credible um, outcome, I think the lack of participation uh, will be a, a telling sign. And so we'll find out on the 12th of December as to whether there is a, a, a drop in participation and where that's, that is. Um, in the northern province the loyalty islands where the connects are the majority, um, I suspect there'll be a low turnout, but time will tell.
1: Well, we are two weeks out from the referendum vote. Do you think that in, bet- in this two-week period there will be further attempts to delay the referendum? What do, you, what do you think is going to happen in these ensuing weeks?
0: We've seen a number of Pacific Island leaders, both past and present, uh, call for a delay, um, just last week, uh, a group called the Pacific Elders' Voice, with a number of respected former presidents and prime ministers from around the Pacific, um, including the former Secretary-General of the Pacific Islands Forum, called, write a letter to President Macron calling for a delay. But I don't believe that will happen. Uh, on my analysis, uh, talking to people on the ground there, I think France wants to go ahead with this vote and um, uh, a, a no vote on the 12th of December will open an 18-month transition towards renegotiating a new uh, agreement to replace the Numia Accord. And one of the worrying features is that conservative politicians, both in Paris and in Numia, want to roll back many of the achievements, particularly around things like voting rights, around the powers given to uh, decentralised uh, authority in the provinces, um, uh, the division of funding for largely Kanak areas versus the capital Numia, Um, Many of the acquisitions of the last 20-year transition, Conservative politicians want to roll those back, Um, and I think that's a recipe for for chaos and trouble. Um, We'll see what happens on the 12th, but I think uh, many people will be waiting to see also what happens with the French presidential elections in April and then the National Assembly elections, uh, which have to be held before June, before we see any clarity about the the way forward. In the meantime, however, as you say, uh, there could be trouble. And um, France is gambling that the Canucks will be defeated and cowed. I think that's a, a bad bet.
1: Nick, thank you so much for your time on the show today. And we will certainly be watching very closely over the coming weeks and uh, particularly if solidarity is needed and wanted.
0: Absolutely. The the Kanak movement and the FLNKS, the independence movement, are calling for support from neighbouring countries. Um, the Australian government has been largely silent on this. Uh, they're focused on the Solomons, uh, but you know, haven't heard our, our, our politicians talk about this issue. So the Trade Union Confederation, USTKE, has come out against participation in, uh, in the vote on the 12th, uh, and they're looking for support from... Uh, uh, people in Australia, New Zealand, neighbouring Pacific countries, there's uh, plenty that can be done to support this uh, really important step in a, in a territory that's just 1,500 kilometres off the coast of Queensland.
1: Nick, thank you. Thank you so much for your knowledge and expertise on this issue um, and for clarifying some of the issues. Been very helpful this morning.
0: Thanks very much, Giselle.
1: That was Nick McClellan, our resident um, expert on the Asia-Pacific region, and also, for those of you who might remember, was the person who started Asia-Pacific Currents some 37, 38 years ago. You're listening to Asia-Pacific Currents. So I'm going to go to some community announcements, and then uh, we'll bring you to the end of the show. Well, that is it for another Asia-Pacific Currents uh, here on Community Radio 3CR. We'll be back next Saturday with more news and current affairs from the Asia-Pacific region. Stay tuned to 3CR for the rest of the weekend, but coming up next is Palestine Remembered.